Welcome to About Empathy, a podcast that focuses on patient, caregiver, and healthcare provider experiences with serious illness. I'm Dr. Giovanna Siriani. I'm Dr. Irene Ying. And I'm Dr. Dori Sekraja. We're physicians working in palliative care and psychosocial oncology at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre in Toronto. Our clinical experiences have taught us that there's great wisdom to be learned from the stories of the people that we care for and work with every single day. This podcast gives voice to the patient and caregiver experience and what these stories can teach all of us. Today's episode is centered around the theme of looking back. Hindsight teaches us so much about our experiences, but reflecting on our experiences can be a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it can make us regretful, but on the other hand, we can learn from our experiences to better equip us to deal with similar challenges in the future. Our guest today is Susan. When her father was dying of cancer, she and her family found themselves thrust into the caregiver role. Thank you so much for agreeing to join us today, Susan. You're welcome. You're here today because you went through a very difficult time earlier this year when your father was hospitalized because he was quite ill. Uh, Do you mind telling us a little bit about your father and what happened to him? Sure, yeah. In about April, May, we heard my dad had stomach cancer and that it was operable and we didn't know how far along it was, but there was a good chance, I think, that he would survive or at least have an operation, go through some chemotherapy. But then in the middle of August, that's when we discovered that it had moved to his backbone. From there, I think that's when we discovered that it had to be almost, I think they called it a palliative care chemo. So at that time, I was studying for an exam and uh, writing papers and stuff like that. And so the main care came from my mother and my sister. Because most of the care was through them, they knew actually more about how to help and how to administer this stuff and to look out for mouth sores and even like the stool color and things like that. He ended up passing away at the middle of January of 2018. Okay. And he was in in hospital at that time? Yes, he was. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. And can you tell us a little bit about your father, what kind of a person he was? Yes. Yeah, he was, uh, I mean, he was my dad. Take your time. Thank we have, you. We have all, as much time as you need. <laughs> Thank you. When I tell this story, it's funny because I don't think we were prepared and yet prepared for him to pass away. Even in the last several years, just because you know, both he and my mom were busy with their Korean Christian newspaper and I was busy with my family and they live in Scarborough and I'm, you know, on the other side of town. We uh, actually didn't have a chance to meet up very often, but always just kind of knew that he was there. And so now that he has passed away, I didn't expect that I really feel like part of myself has gone as well. He seemed larger than life, and then to see him deteriorating so quickly near the end, it was uh, scary and shocking, and yet at the same time, you just do what you need to do to get through the day. And I don't know if it's the Asian culture or what is what it is, but there's part of me who kind of still wonders who my dad is and who he was, and, and yet I just know that if I ever needed him, he was there, you know, and he was uh, 
very much a community man and how involved he was in the community. I didn't actually find out until after he passed away and just how many people he knew. Even my kids Taekwondo instructor or the grandmaster actually worked very closely with my dad. <laughs> and so it's funny how many lives he actually ended up touching that I just had no idea. That's so interesting because I think we come across that a lot where it's not until after someone passes away mm-hmm. where we find out things about them that we didn't really realize before. Yeah. We, we thought we knew the person so well. And also in that time, months, weeks, or days leading up to someone passing away, mm-hmm. we also learned in the way that they cope with things. Can you tell us a little bit about how your dad coped with his journey in the last weeks yes. of his life? Yeah. He never complained, so you never really knew when he was in pain. He would just say, Susan, I need my hydromorphone. And, you know, just kind of like, okay, dad is in pain right now. But we ever never actually really knew how much pain he was in. So there was this one time where I didn't know, but he was actually bleeding. And it came out in his stool, and I could hear him kind of stumbling around to go to the bathroom at 5 a.m. in the morning and just so shocked I ran downstairs and he was sweating profusely as white as a sheet and just like dad what in the world is going on tell me what's going on and he never told me that he was just feeling weaker and weaker until that morning I see him and we you know just kind of not knowing really what to do but my dad kept insisting you know I don't need an ambulance don't call the ambulance like no no we gotta go if I could have done it all over again, I think I would have just been more observant rather than listening to his verbal cues, but just kind of watching his physical cues that actually means something. So I just like, oh, you know, my dad is tired today. Okay, that's okay, you know, but not actually realizing that it was a sign of him deteriorating physically. And so he sounds like the type of person who kept a lot of things to himself. Yes. You know, watching him go through this process How do you think he dealt with everything that was happening to him? Because Mm. he was obviously impacted not just physically, but emotionally as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. And so so he is definitely a man to keep things to himself. So I don't think we even knew how much he was holding things in. Or I don't even know how he was processing through things. And um, we did have like pastors and ministers come by and, and pray over him, but they never actually really asked, you know, how are you doing? You're facing death. And I, I mean, I understand that it's a very sensitive topic and there are some people who don't actually really want to talk about it. There was one of my dad's caregivers had the doctor's report and she said, so did the doctor let you know how much time he has? And I said, no. And she said, well, Do you want to know? I think it would be good for you to know just so that you have time to prepare for things. And I said, yes, I would really like to know. And so she ended up telling me, well, the doctor wrote six months. I mean, it was really less than six months. I mean, it was just like a month or something. But um, even knowing that, I think, kind of put things into more perspective for me. I actually, I don't know how he processed. He was quiet a lot. He slept a lot. And he, I mean, he managed his pain just on his own, really just kind of letting us know he's in pain and then telling us, you know, we need to see the pain doctor. Can you please call the pain doctor? And that's how I knew that he was in pain. So every time we asked him, dad, what is the scale of pain from one to 10? That was the question that we learned from the doctors. My dad would always say, oh, five. And, you know, and meanwhile, it was more than that. And so I don't really know how we could have got my dad to just say more Mm -hmm. than what he was actually sharing. Did you have a sense that he knew how much time he had? 
I think he may have. Yeah. What made you think that? Just the way I guess he interacted with us. Yeah. I think he began to appreciate things more. And even as we were visiting my mom in the rehab, he was always so much more appreciative and just more like making sure that before he left, you know, that my mom knew how to take care of herself. And I mean, my mom is very self-sufficient. So, but just to make sure, you know, don't forget this and don't forget this. As a caregiver, Mm -hmm. when he got quite ill, Mm -hmm. what was the hardest part for you in all of this? Right. I think not knowing not knowing what to do or what was going on or how to handle things. And so with that episode where he was bleeding, our first reaction was call the ambulance, recognizing that it had to do something with my dad's cancer. Trillium is the closest hospital to myself, and obviously the ambulance will take my dad there. And the doctor had strongly suggested stay here, get the blood transfusion, and then take him to Sunnybrook where he can get treated. But I wanted my dad's doctors to see my dad instead and have his team kind of taking care of him. And so I didn't know at that time that it was not a great idea to take my dad out on my own. And so I put him in a wheelchair and drove him to Sunnybrook. But I wish somebody had told me, you know, this is dangerous. And I don't know if the doctors are allowed to say stuff like that? I don't know. I know that uh, a lot of the decision does come from the patient and the caregiver, but had I known just how dangerous it was, you know, like, do you really think that you can handle your dad on your own? Like, I mean, there were measures that I did take so that he was not walking. You know, I'd bring the wheelchair right up to the car door and then he'd just kind of scooch over into the wheelchair and that way there is no way that he could fall and hurt himself and yet I just kind of think wow that was so risky at that time I just was not in the right mind to think about how risky I was Mm -hmm. being with my dad and and like my inability to care for him but I all I could focus on was I need to get my dad to Sunnybrook and that's it you know yeah I mean you're not a medical person I mean I don't think it would be expected for you to know all the risks of the different things that you do. But it sounds like you would have really appreciated more, I guess, specific advice around what to do in what Mm -hmm. situations and maybe more information around, you know, what's the prognosis, how much time so that you could better prepare yourself. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. Just to wrap up, is there something in particular looking back on things now that you wished that the medical team knew about yourself or your dad or what you guys were going through that would have helped us care for him better? I think the one thing as primary care was changing hands, there were things that I just didn't know to look for or the the mind to even think, okay, to sit down with one another and say, okay, now that we're changing hands, these are the sort of things that you need to look for and ask dad if he's going through these things, you know, not just about his pain, but even like the color of his poo, you know, it's, is if it's black, then that means there's bleeding and you need to be careful of that. And my dad, who was aware of it himself, knew that his black colored stool was a bad sign, but he didn't tell me until he was staggering around five o'clock in the morning. And so I don't know if there's a time that they can actually sit down. That primary care is changing hands. It's everything was just so fast. And I don't mean to sound like I'm blaming the care team at all. Like the Sunnybrook care team was so fantastic, not just with my dad, but with my mom. That we really do appreciate everything that they did. It was such a crazy time for us that we just didn't know what we didn't know. 
And so um, to have somebody sit down and say, hey, did you talk about the signs to look out for, for your dad? No, I think that's a really important thing for us to keep in mind um, that even not just for family members, but when physician oftentimes will change over care yeah. and you lose a lot of that information that the previous person had. Um, thank you so much, yes, Susan, you. for no, joining us today. We're going to take a short break. You are listening to About Empathy. About Empathy is recorded at Wellspring. Wellspring Cancer Support Foundation is a network of community-based support centers offering professionally-led programs and services to help people living with cancer and those who care for them overcome the many emotional, social, practical, informational, physical, and functional challenges that typically follow a diagnosis. No referral is necessary and Wellspring programs are offered free of charge. Visit wellspring.ca to find a center location near you. About Empathy is made possible through education research and scholarship grant funding from Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre. Sunnybrook is committed to patient engagement and care. By partnering with Sunnybrook, we hope that this podcast embeds patient and family experiences in all teaching and learning. To learn more about the education initiatives of Sunnybrook, visit sunnybrook.ca. Welcome back to About Empathy and today's episode's theme of Looking Back. Giovanna and Dory, thoughts about our conversation with Susan? I think what stuck out for me is when she gave examples of when she wished she had paid more attention to what he looked like versus what he would say, because she didn't have the context. Someone didn't say, oh, look for this. So she was just asking him, how are you? As which is a good thing, but he would always say fine. And then that incident that she described when he was really unwell at five o'clock in the morning. It's so easy that when you ask someone, you're hoping they say okay. So when they say I'm okay, you feel a little bit of relief and you think, oh, okay, it's okay for now. And I think even as doctors, we do that. And she made such a good point that we need to really look at people and not just go by what they tell us. Mm-hmm. Even um, though someone says their pain is a five out of ten. When they looked, yes. And for you, that might not be so bad, but for them, it might be sort of the yeah. worst pain of their life. Something that happens not only to family members, but as physicians, when you're really busy, you're so excited when someone says they're doing well, because then you can go on to the next room, but you really do have to pay such close attention to what they look like, Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes me um, think about how many times have I heard someone say, oh, I'm fine and I'm doing okay, and then I move on. When Susan says something like that, it makes me stop and think, well, were they really okay or not? Which makes me then doubt what I've done, what have I missed by just taking that at face value? So that makes me think twice, I think. I mean, none of us were personally involved in Mm -hmm. Susan's father's care, but Mm -hmm. I do wonder if there were conversations that happened between her father and the healthcare team that we don't know about. Mm -hmm. Like maybe he did ask them, how much time do I have? Maybe he did talk to them about the fact that he was trying to protect his family from right. what was going on and we're missing that element. So I would be so curious to know what were those other conversations that he was a part of that Susan didn't know about. 
It's difficult for people when your loved one is so quiet and mm-hmm. doesn't have that way of opening mm-hmm. up. Like it really gets hard. And then she did say she had a sense her dad knew, but you know, she wasn't really sure because mm-hmm. he didn't share if those conversations mm-hmm. happened or he just knew by how he felt mm-hmm. that he was at the end of his life mm-hmm. or really unwell. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think Susan was wondering if it was cultural. Yeah, she said, "Oh, is it? Is it an Asian thing?" And then that made me think. Well, I'm not Asian, but that's my dad. That's my dad too, who has right. chronic illnesses and is in and out of hospital. And until he's desperately ill, mm-hmm. no one knows what's going on with him. So until he needs, yes, to call an ambulance, which is what happened with Susan's dad, mm-hmm. that's when we know he's really ill. Otherwise, he keeps it really close you know that's who they are yeah i think we see it that's across who they are. all sort of cultural yes yeah, spectrum yes Absolutely. and and going back to looking at the visual cues the other thing that i thought was very interesting was how susan felt she would have benefited from more information yeah. from the care team around prognosis but also things to look out for like if the stool looks black that's something to be aware of and how sometimes when the care team transitions right a lot of that information is mm. lost and I think we see this all the time right when a patient mm-hmm. goes from hospital to the community or vice versa oftentimes there isn't that communication mm. and we don't know the patient as well And that's something that we have to remind ourselves to somehow find a way to bridge that gap. I think it's hard for everyone in this situation. For physicians, we need to guide people. But a lot of times, you know, who does that? Which team member does that? Are they discharged before you even can get to the room? Mm. Do you have time to say everything you want to say to prepare them, look for this or look for that? For patients, I think it's hard to ever give them enough information. And do they remember? It's so stressful when you're about to go home even to remember things Mm. that we say, like, do we need to write things down? I think those are things we have to keep thinking about and maybe checking in with people. It's a good Mm. reminder to Mm. us how even if we feel we've guided someone, maybe they may not have all the information that they hope to have or they don't remember Mm. it. Or in this situation, if that information was provided to her father, but not to her as the primary caregiver or to her mother as the primary caregiver, then something gets lost along the way. And that sometimes it's not only about the patient, it's about the people around them who are providing them care and they need that information. When we were chatting with Susan, she was saying how as a pastor, I would pray for people and I believe in the power of prayer. But until I went through this experience, this lived experience, I never really had a sense of really what people were going through. And now I have this personal sense. And so it adds this other element to the work that she does because she's lived it. And I think it's so relatable to people in medicine as well, because unless you've lived that illness experience or someone else in your family or someone close to you has, you don't really know. Oh my goodness. That's so true because my father-in-law passed away uh, end of last year and he wanted to be at home And I didn't realize how chaotic it was to get home care involved, to get a home palliative care physician involved. There was probably someone coming in every hour for the first 24 hours that he was discharged from hospital. And I had no clue. And I had been practicing palliative care at that point for 
about seven years. And so now when I talk to patients when they're going home, it's not just about informing them about medical things to look out for, but it's preparing them for just the chaos, right? Mm -hmm. Like just be prepared the first 48 hours. It's going to just be madness and you're going to be calling people and there are going to be people visiting every hour. I had no idea how difficult it was for me. And I'm a physician and I deal with this every day. I can't imagine how the patients and their families deal with it when they don't know the medical lingo and what's going on. We had a really great conversation today. Join us next time for another episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of About Empathy. We hope the story that you heard today has inspired you to engage in compassionate, authentic, and empathic interactions. We'll be back next week with another conversation. Subscribe to About Empathy to get a new episode each week. We would love if you could rate and review our podcast, and please tell your health professional, your colleagues, and your friends about our show. You can visit our website, aboutempathy.com, for more information and to read the show notes from today's episode. You can also be a part of our research project. We are conducting a short, three-minute, anonymous survey to inform us on the content you get out of each episode. Visit our website, aboutempathy.com, and click on the Take Survey button in the top right corner. About Empathy is a Kickback Productions podcast hosted by Giovanna Siriani, Dori Sakaracha, and Irene Ying. Recorded and produced by Jackie Skinner, with additional production and writing by Laura Takahashi. Music by Jerry Finn and Jackie Skinner. The podcast is recorded on-site at Wellspring and funded by an education research and scholarship grant through Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre. Visit us at aboutempathy.com.